Hello and welcome to Carbide Content. I'm David from Contraption Collection. I'm Grant from Fellowship Blades. And I'm John from Triaxis. And Dalen is at a uh, singing lesson, I think. Yeah, stri- strain his vocal cords, something like that. Yeah, I don't know if he's teaching or receiving singing lessons. Receiving. Could go. Could go either way. It's <laughs> one way to say it. <laughs> I, re- I received that lesson. Yeah. Uh, anyway, how are you guys doing? I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm sick. Oh, no. <laughs> I went on a trip. And was mostly fine, and I don't. Maybe it's unrelated, uh, but now for the last few days, I've had really bad headaches and been coughing a lot and stuff. Oh, so uh, uh, it's about this time of year I caught COVID for the first time. Maybe it's that again. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah, I haven't done quite as much because of that. Uh, yeah, that sucks. Yep, for sure. John, how's your shop running? Uh, it's good. I, um, I'm done with the book spots. I still have like one warranty knife that I'm, I basically am remaking <laughs> like from scratch. So I'm in the middle of doing that, which has been like a horror show for some reason. This knife is cursed. No, no, just trying to get it. No, you know, not to the person is cursed, but making of the knife has been like I think I've remade the handles like twice now and I'm making a third pair tonight because oh, it's just like they're supposed to be green and I anodized them and like one spot here was not green and I was like okay they had to be re-etched and then if you know anything about etching titanium it's like it doesn't really like to be etched like many times over yeah yeah and so like I did that and then still wasn't right. And I was like, okay, well, I think I can just, I kept etching it basically until the green was right. And then that basically widened out one of the holes on the Mm. rear of the handle enough. And I've almost never etched something enough to cause it to be like out of spec. Yeah. And this one went out of spec and I was like, oh, that does happen. (laughs) So yeah, makes sense. Yep. And I figured out, why i was warranting so like i had a couple basically from the last couple book spots that people were like it was fine on arrival and then after like a couple days it would like lock stick or whatever and i'm like i have no idea what's going on because they're leaving here fine kind of thing mm-hmm. so i'm gonna like sit on them for a day and it's really the dumbest reason in the world but the I don't remember how I found it, but I was messing with this one, this person that I'm remaking the knife for. And I'm like, what is actually wrong with this thing? Cause it's everything is good type thing. So what I started doing was, so the pivot goes to the front handle and it goes into the back handle. Right. And then you have a pivot screw and then you're supposed to sandwich the blades and bearings and everything. So what I was doing was I thought for some reason that the pivot was getting like clamped sideways as it passed through basically the rear handle. Mm. So what I started doing was widening the rear handles bore essentially. So then it wasn't, it was floating. Like the pivot was now floating and not touching the rear handle. And just the screw was kind of holding in place. And I was like, Oh, maybe that's it. So I kept walking it out a bit 
you know, like a thou at a time or whatever and checking it. And it turns out, I'm like, I have it together. You know, there's like probably five thou of actual slack or whatever between the the pivot and the the rear handle bore. And I tighten the screw down and I'm like, I can move the rear handle mm. even with the screw tightened down. <laughs> so it turns out that the rear screw wasn't holding the rear handle down. It was just close enough to where I thought it was. Yeah. Like within a thou mm. or two, but it actually wasn't clamping the rear handle down against the pivot. And then because you have like the two handle screws along with how close like the stack up is where the pivot and the bearing are, mm-hmm. it wasn't noticeable, but it was really noticeable because I basically widen out that bore so much that I was able to take it by hand and actually move the hand, the, the rear handle up and down mm-hmm. while it was clamped. And I was like, Oh, that's probably it. So obviously as you use the knife, you put pressure on it, you move the rear handle, like, you know, just using it because the stop pins in it kind of thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the pivots pushing against it. And I was like, Oh, this must be what the problem is. The last couple knives basically. Um, so that was a fun experience chasing my tail around, trying to figure out what that was. So was the thread in the pivot was just not deep enough or, or what? So the pivot screw would basically bottom out against the pivot before it was actually touching the rear handle. And it was so close that there was friction there, but it wasn't enough to actually clamp. Dang. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's tight. Yeah, it was... The problem is that that whole setup is so... Both the pivot and the pivot screw don't stick up past the handles. Mm -hmm. And doing that and getting it like reliable is really difficult because you're playing within like 10 thou on kind of the whole range. And you're talking like between the pivot, the two bores, the the bearing and the knife, they all have to be very close to each other for that relationship to work and have it not stick out. It's just like, it's, it's been a, I don't know, a pain, I guess, getting it to work. And I changed, I actually changed the length of the pivot months ago because I was like, it would be better if it stuck through the rear handle more to have like more support basically. So instead mm-hmm. of just uh, only being held on by like a really tiny shoulder of like 10 thou or something, I increased it to like 20 thou. Well, that increase was, I guess, enough to actually cause them to float or whatever over time. Mm-hmm. Well, especially, I don't, I don't know what it is, but you know, as things wear in, you're wearing away a 10th or two and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, tightening and loosening the screws. <clears throat> probably doing it twice loosens it just enough to pass it pass it through yeah absolutely and then those bearings too they they wear in a track a little bit and i think they only sit down like four tenths maybe mm-hmm. but those together that's you know that's like basically another thou of movement and uh, yeah it's i don't know but i'm glad to have found what it was and then i'm basically done with the book spot so i'm like okay it's time to turn a new leaf yeah, definitely. Good good time to find a problem is when you're done with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, like, the nice thing is if somebody's like, hey, it's, you know, it was fine and now it's not, I can send them a pivot screw that's 
correctly shouldered essentially mm-hmm. and field fix it if they want but um so yeah that's that's been the latest that and yesterday's crash but yeah oh i saw were you trying out the where thing i was talking about but did some crazy complex version of it N- no so uh fusion's got a like there's a bunch of probe functionality and there's a probe geometry is like you can basically probe geometry and then you can deprint something out of like out of the machine and it'll tell you how far something off is kind of thing so it's like it's just for single surfaces no no like complex geometry but in the what you can do with it is if the surface was cut with another tool you can turn on i don't know what the option is but it's basically fusion can go back or the the uh what do you call it basically based on the deviation it gets from that measurement it can take that deviation and then update a tool uh either diameter or a tool length and um so like if you measure for instance this is on the lock bar inserts so it's like and this was a length one so it's like hey i'm trying to hit 18 thou right and it goes hey well i measured the the deviation is one thou because what I measured was actually one thou higher than what you intend. And so what I want Fusion to do is I want you like I want to update that tool's length to account for that deviation. So the next time it comes around and cuts with that tool, it'll have that that wear offset baked in. And then kind of thing. So you have like a it's like normal probing. Mm-hmm. The th- thing is if you turn the option on there's a there's a tolerance setting so basically if you're over a certain amount if you're over this amount i'd like you to update it and then there's an error correction percentage so like hey if that deviation is over one thou i want you to error correct uh and it's like i said between a percentage so zero to a hundred if you say a hundred it's going to put one thou in the tool length so next time it comes Mm. around it's going to cut down one thou well, one to a hundred percent works. If you put zero in that box, it multiplied the number by a hundred instead of mm-hmm. by well nothing. Instead of putting zero, it would still output a number, and it would take the deviation and multiply it by a hundred. Even though like one percent would have been multiplied by you know one percent, so it took like yesterday's deviation was. Well, thou, I think. So it took that, multiplied that by 100, and now you have an inch and a half of wear. And you're not paying oh attention because you just are not. Like, yeah. so ran it again. And I'm like, of course, I'm standing there, just like, you know, twiddling my thumbs, like expecting it to recut this thing. Cause I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, I didn't cut it enough. And it just slammed the t- tool right in the palette. And I was like, what the f? Really? yeah and and it was funny because like you i was like i i don't know where that number came from because it's you're in the length where calm there's an inch and a half of you know where or whatever and i was like that's quite quite a number so it took a little bit of messing around to figure out that it's kind of a bug with and it's it's not fusion it's the way the the haas post handled the the number so it saw a zero and then was like Hey, I'm gonna multiply by 100 basically, and there's a. Is it because like the 
you know, when you type Haas numbers in Haas, it just goes to the ten thousandth of an inch column? No. So I actually thought this is what it was because uh, what I tried was basically a hundred, you know, a hundred percent correction, and then I went to fifty, and then did the math, and I was like, okay, maybe it's a rounding error where it's like if there's a fifth decimal place or something, it's just rounding and then or, right. or something, some overflow issue. Mm-hmm. And no, it just turns out that it, there wasn't a, a conditional, there wasn't any condition that said, okay, if it's zero, just don't percentage correct. It's whatever the line of code was like, you know, if it's zero, then multiply by a hundred. There's like, there's a post on the, um, fusion forums and manufacturer about it, but basically it, they talk about the specific line that causes it. Mm. And then the, uh, the Doosan VMC post has the exact same line in it. So it'll do the exact same thing. Mm. So, yep. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think this is my first legitimate crash. That wasn't my fault. So it happens, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's that. That is something that you would never think would cause a crash. So you wouldn't, you know, sit there and baby the program and just like, oh, I, I, I didn't need this error correct. Let me just hit zero and run it fine because it ran fine last time. Yeah, and you know what's funny is I look for I can't remember. There's a setting on like, so I have a host VF two. There's a setting that doesn't let um a user input more than a certain value or it'll ask you like, Hey, yeah, are yeah, you really sure. That. Yeah. But there's nothing about, um, a variable writing over something. There's nothing that I could find, like at least simply, um, you know, like a simple function for it that if it over, you know, if it writes something yeah, bigger I than mean, a certain for number, the where, if you're actually using the where column, not like the actual tools number, mm-hmm. it should never be, over like ten thousand or or something, like yeah. you're never gonna have well, where that's more than a few thou. And usually, cutter comp would freak out anyway if it was above whatever your uh, tolerance. Yeah. Well, is. but if for length for length compensation, I don't. Oh know. yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So just any kind of where I would, you know, it should it should just be like a machine setting where you can tell it like, hey. I'm not going to ever put four inches in this column. Well, I I will say, I know some people would use that to like dry run a program. You just, you're, if you're running one tool, you just change the where, add a couple Mm -hmm. inches and then you, you can run and look and then you just delete the where and you have to worry about any of the other offsets or whatever. Sure. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Either way. But that would still be like positive. You could at least like limit it in the negative direction or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. So that that was fun. Luckily, there's no, as far as I can tell, like real mechanical damage. It, the spindle still runs out just fine, and Good. that collet got murked. But <laughs> there's That's already a replacement for, for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. We all have a cup of those or or a bucket of those. <laughs> yeah, I have a bunch of like just old because when I first started uh, machining, I was like. You know, people are like, choke up on the tool as much as you can. And I'd like grab the flutes with the gauntlet. <laughs> oh, no. It's just <laughs> and an extra grip, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? And then at some point, I was like, wait a minute. Why are these getting chewed up so bad? And for some reason, it clicked then. I don't know. But yeah. That's, that's really funny. I, I think I did that w- whenever I was running my uh, Shape Oko. 
I did that a couple times because I, I was like, you know, I, I could see the run out basically with the with the router because I messed with the the spindle on it. And yeah. I was like, oh, if I just choke it up more, there'll be less run out. I just choke yeah. up the fluids. Yep, taking everything people say with a right to heart. Yeah, painful lessons sometimes. Yeah. Yep. How are how have things been with you, Grant? It's been a been a while. Oh, it has been a while. It's been a it's been a long while. Um basically so uh I launched this new product. I call it the Empress. Um mm-hmm. David bought I think the first one. And nice. it is to me it's my like, you know, uh my best knife I've ever made in my yeah. mind or best design. Mm-hmm. And Dale you know, and I have been talking about this, like the market shifting for for several months now, ever since like September of last year or something. Mm-hmm. Um, for Balasong specifically, who's to say about anything else? But we've seen a slowdown on the higher end stuff. And so I launched this new stuff, this new knife, and it was definitely it's more expensive to make. It, it's almost twice the cycle time as the Medusa. Yep. Uh, and the. It's four scales that I have to get water jet cut and hold a pretty tight tolerance on the stock. So that's even more expensive. Mm-hmm. And the tooling's more expensive. Everything going into it is more expensive. So the price ended up being the highest price that I've put a knife at. Yeah. Uh, and the first drop, I think I like first drop was like 15 and I sold 10 pretty quick. And then like five lasted a while. Mm-hmm. And the second drop, I think I didn't sell. I sold like two. The day I mm-hmm. dropped it, and then like maybe one a day, mm-hmm. uh, and then I kind of threw up another batch here and there, and and they were really just stopped selling, and mm-hmm. so I I kind of did a correction, and it, you know who knows what what the right answer is, but uh, I had a lot of other things in the books, you know, like I bought a mill for this, or knowing that this would be run on the mill, and so I, a lot of I've increased my over- and. Then the project stopped selling. I was like, oh, shoot, I need to pay bills. Mm-hmm. And if this continues six months from now and I don't catch it, I'm going to be too late. Like, you know, this, this is going to be the death of me. Yeah. Because uh, I, I literally put everything like Medusa stopped so that we can make this knife. And mm-hmm. uh, so basically, I completely killed it. And I've spent the past, I don't know, month or two just designing out like crazy like it everything that is currently running in the shop is a new like with it's l- less than two months old um and Damn. so yeah and and i also we have like oh god i five or six projects like r&d projects currently in the works that in my head i was like oh this is my list for the next year and then the my one knife that i was like okay i can finally take breath didn't work and mm-hmm. so now I'm like, okay, now I'm shoving those projects down down the pipeline so that I have things to sell and things to run on the middle. Uh And I I had to, it, we worked it out, but my titanium distributor, we had like these really solid uh, monthly like distributions. And so he'd be like, or he'd send me like 150 pieces of stock every month. Uh, and I told him, you know, nine months of ahead of time, like this is what I need every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was good for him, good for me. Scheduling, everything worked out. I did the same thing with the Empress and basically I had to come back and say, Hey, you know, that next like six months worth of stock that you're preparing, I need to cancel that. And he, yeah. he looked at me or he, he called me. I didn't look at me in the face. And he was like, Hey, 
we've already water jet all of that because oh, it was a boy. it was a tight tolerance and we were like hey if we water jet it all in one go we'll save on the water jet cost because it's expensive and whatever so you know right move on their part they knew they had consistent stock and i for the past two years i've been nothing but consistent with them yeah um but also i didn't know things weren't going to work out or whatever so he was like hey we have all this inventory and if you don't take it it's basically garbage uh and so i was like okay i don't want to screw you guys you've been really good to me so i'll take it but just give me a few months so like i was like can you just postpone it three months postpone the next one three months and so I can figure out what to make with it in the meantime, and and then I'll take it anyway. So, kind of how we worked it out. Uh, definitely, like, probably I didn't have to. They were willing to eat it, but I I didn't want to do that to them. That's, that's really crappy. Yeah. Um. So I just finished the first prototype of the new pry bar that I came up with yesterday. <laughs> oh damn. We were gonna do. I'm uh, when I first got the Haas, I was making titanium rulers and mm-hmm. little pry bars. And I was going to do those again, but then yesterday Zeke and I kind of brainstormed for a little bit uh, and came up with this somewhat on a similar vein to the the nail that I had, the little price bike, but it's much thinner uh, and it has a bottle opener and it has a pocket clip. And it's kind of generally an evolution of the nail uh, mm-hmm. and it's it'll be a lot cheaper because the cycle time's a lot easier. It's the stock's a lot thinner and stuff like that. So, um. Yeah, so yesterday I came up with that, and then uh, working on the new Medusa blades, which is I'm soft milling these blades, and mm. it's I'm kind of kicking myself for doing it because there's a reason I started hard milling, but also I hate hard milling, so I'm like, if if I can just get this to work, it'll be great. Yeah. Um. So the. The actual process is still kind of working on. I'm. I think my current crutch is the fixturing. Uh, I didn't do an underbevel support, and I didn't do tabs, or I didn't do a fine clamp because what worked on the kukri blade that I did was I put tabs all the way around the, blade. and so it's it is technically like window machining it, kind of fully supported that way, mm-hmm. uh, and it actually worked quite well for the kukri, but I forgot that I did put a spine tab on the kukri where I forgot to do that on the medusa yeah um, so there is still some non-supportedness uh and different bevel geometry who knows so i'm dealing with some opto issues but currently resolving those um so but, oh good uh well uh I, I don't know you can finish if you want well so yeah we, we'll we can touch on that but um the biggest thing with soft milling blades, as we probably all know, is if you soft mill and then heat treat, you get the heat treat, whatever oxide you end up with, whether it's colored or it's white or it's, you know, a bad oxide, like a, a dark gray or whatever, yeah. um, you get that in your milling. And if your milling is not perfectly, perfectly flat, there's no way in hell it's tumbling out. Um, right. Right. So that, and this is a, and the Medusa is a blade that specifically has, stepped mill bevels um and it's like that's the thing people like for it so part of me was like okay i'll make it smooth and just tumble it out and then dalen was doing something with his laser with his uh fiber laser mm-hmm. and or polishing blades or polishing handles i can't remember and i was like eureka moment i was like hey will you try to polish one of your heat treated blades and see if it gets rid of that mill scale 
And sure enough, it did. It nuked the mill scale and left a shiny surface. Oh, and so, yeah, which for me was like, I'm immediately buying lit because that makes soft milling viable for yeah. step bevels uh, w- without sandblasting. Obviously, you can bead blast or sandblast it away, mm-hmm. but I've been, I've been trying to not do that. Um, so that's that's been a very cool kind of idea moment is we're going to mill, heat treat, grind, and then laser polish and then tumble, and it should ideally no, have that's, a, that's pretty cool i that's yeah i like that yeah so that, that's a <laughs> current process of evolution and it, the laser came in today so i've been playing with um it's a 60 watt fiber mopa laser um yeah so outside of just the million projects i've got rolling in my head uh that's kind of the data dump <laughs> yeah David, so like there's definitely a lot of different topics we could talk about there but like one thing i was talking about with Dalen last week is uh i think i had had a lot of skepticism about um how many times you should update a product or make a new product um and i think i think dalen gave me a better understanding that like in this market it it kind of is good to have you know new products and update products you know frequently compared to maybe other businesses. Um, but I still worry, like, Dalen got kind of shadow banned on Instagram, so people weren't seeing his drops and stuff. And then I think he resolved it. I think he might have got at least mostly unshadow banned. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I wonder that about if if you think Medusa sales, or sorry, if you think the Empress wasn't selling as well, how much it could just be being shadow banned on Instagram. Uh, I don't think so. I, I So that's the, the weird thing is, um, I never saw a dip in like Instagram metrics. Like if you look at the the views and the likes and whatever, right? I I get about the same, and sometimes I get more, depending. Like the the first time I launched the Empress, I got more comments on that post than I've gotten on any post or something. What you know is one of those posts. I was like, holy cow, this is people are really talking about it, and they were loving mm-hmm. it. I got DMs saying, "Hey, this is the best design ever," or whatever. Uh, and this is something we talked about a little bit. I don't know if you've talked too much about it on the podcast, but um, people say a lot of things, and they like if if you ask someone, "Hey," or you put a poll out and like, "Hey, do you like this? Do you like this?" Ninety-five percent people can like one thing, but at the end of the day, if those aren't buyers, then that data doesn't matter. Right. And so, if if I have five hundred people liking my post and they're always liking my post but if those aren't buyers it doesn't matter in in the in this metric obviously i appreciate those people but um so i don't think it's an instagram marketing thing because i don't think i've seen a change in the market uh, well do you what, what, do you think sales have dropped for other products uh so right now we're doing trainer medusas and they're selling like hotcakes um be- because the price is much better, it's it's three fifty compared to six hundred, um, and so there's just more customers in that market right now. Yeah, I, I definitely think it could just come down to the price. I, um, you know, I I think it's 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 hard to figure out these things because you know, uh, JK Design sells his stuff for like two thousand dollars or nine thousand dollars or something, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, and, it's different. 
uh, oh, so the big thing is the volume that we're doing. Um, like Julian, I think he's only made like 150, uh, 157 or whatever that number is, Orcas. Uh, and he came out with the Orca before I came out with the Medusa. And not even including the Kukri Blade, I made almost 400 Medusas in, a, in one year. So, like, the volume-wise, there's just a big difference there. Well, yeah, there's going to be less people who um, uh, can buy a, a $2,000 ballast song or whatever. Um, also, he might have less overhead if he has less machines and stuff, if he's just doing it all by hand. Um, but, uh, you know, the question might be, though, is, is like, maybe you're, you're, uh, uh, maybe there are people who want to buy the Empress, but the current type of Balasong follower who you've attracted are the budget people who like the, the economically good, you know, value for money of the, the Medusa or something, you know, but mm -hmm. if you could somehow get the people who follow JK to follow you, maybe you would have got some more sales or something. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, you know, because there's certainly a big range of prices in, in, uh, not even, I mean, especially knives in general, but, but even with battle songs. And there really is. And, um, I, I think the, the big thing with any market, right? You're going to have, you're going to have every spectrum. You're going to have the, the low end price, but high volume, um, which in this case could be, you know, Amazon Bally's or, or whatever hits your flavor. Um, then you have like the consumer grade or like, you know, your, your standard, this is good made quality stuff. And that could be like squid industries or whatever. Uh, and then you end up moving up the ranks and at some point you move past utility and you move into collector. Yep. And I think that personally, I think that this market cannot sustain a collector price at a production level um at least sorry at, at least my business can't be sustained that way. right like, right i can definitely make collector battle songs and i'm sure like i so i was telling, i i've sold one a day consistently when we had on the site i, I sold was selling one a day um but we need to sell four three or four a day i exactly i think it's three a day and so you're doing a third of the volume that you and well it might not be worth the effort, but so so you still have some empresses. Are they all going to Blade Show though? Uh, they're all going to Blade Show. I do have a bunch in a drawer that are not even assembled yet because I was so mad I just threw them in the drawer. Um, <laughs> well, I'm just saying like there is a possibility that like you just auction them as this like super limited thing that's you know very rarely made if ever made, and you know you only auction them every month or every year, you know. Yeah. And, well, yeah. That's kind like of the it, it just does appeal to a different market or something. Yeah, that's kind of the the current plan. Is like obviously we I've spent so much time on the fixturing and everything that like we still have we can still make them. Like we just need to run them on the machine. Um it's a little bit more complicated than that, but um we can still make them. But right now we we were sitting at one point with two months worth of inventory, two months of production inventory, and they were all on site. And I was like, okay, this is... And that, that's why I pulled them all, sent them to Blade Show, and threw the rest in the drawer. Um, 
they'll they'll come back whenever we have time to assemble those and whatever. But at the moment, better for for now, it's better to focus my efforts as the as the leader, the captain of the ship, to something that no, is yeah, sustainable. No, yeah, I definitely think putting your effort into other things for now is is probably the right move. I think that. Um, I think it's also interesting. Another part I was talking about with Dalen is, is you know, both you and him have experimented with selling uh, different blades on different handles or trainer blades on mm-hmm. on handles, and um, he's coming out with the Prisma V2. And I've also talked to him a lot about like, should things be a V2 or should it just have its own name? And um, uh. And uh, some people are going to like the V1 more if you make a big enough change. And so I think he's decided that he might still uh, sell the Prisma V1s, but he's going to call the new Prisma the Prisma Pro. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of a smart choice. But what I'm also getting at is is I think this stuff gets complicated because different companies will put a lot of effort into making sure they're not cannibalizing their other products. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible the biggest selling point of the Empress was the blade, but then because you sold it with that same blade with Medusa handles, right. a lot of the people who would have bought it decided to not buy it or at least wait. And uh, now it's too late, potentially, you know. Like, yeah, like and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying you're criticizing, but like, like I, I used to be so into looking up like the latest stuff with cameras and things for my videos. Mm-hmm. And like it would always be weird where it's like, why does this new camera have like every great feature, but they can't just add this feature? Like there are other cameras that are more expensive have this feature. And like I started realizing and people talk about it, it's like, oh, you know, Sony or Canon or whoever they don't want to cannibalize their own sales of the professional cameras. You know, right. they want the, the, the videographers, the filmmakers, the like people spending the big bucks to, to not say, Oh, I can just buy the cheaper camera. It has all the same features now. And eventually as technology gets better and, and people expect more and more, you know, with all the updates of, of technology and, and new additions of things, new cameras, new phones, whatever they got to, you know, keep adding things. So people keep buying them. Um, but they have to like figure out how not to. I mean, it'd be nice if they just were like, you know, here's the perfect camera, and you know, take a huge chunk of the market share from other companies or something. But it's mm-hmm. not exactly how it works because there's also brand loyalty and people, you know, already bought into different lenses and things. Um, you know, but but this will happen with all sorts of different industries. It also seems like you know Seiko watches or whatever. They they uh it seems like they purposely will use a worse movement or worse glass on on some of their watches that you know they could easily put a nicer one on but they they need something that makes the the a thousand dollar watch you know they need a reason for it to be a thousand dollars instead of five hundred dollars aside from looks mm-hmm. you know yeah so it's it's a tough thing as yeah I'm I'm not. I, I don't know if that we have enough data. It we isn't anybody in the Balsong industry at least. Maybe Lucas might, but um, he's also doing his own thing. So uh, I don't know if we have enough data to to think on that level as like is is the uh, the Empress Medusa the the Kukri blade on on Medusa handles 
is that cannibalizing the the new design sandwich handles um i don't know but i mean really i i just think i don't think it probably made a huge difference but it just might have been good to release the empress fully on its own for like you know a few months or something before you know saying oh you didn't like the handles but you like the blade well you can also get the medusa you know handles yeah. or or even the medusa blade on the empress handles you know and uh i don't know because it's also like each each product has it to have its own like identity and and kind of its own brand in a way it's uh, as well but i'm not really a marketer or business yeah. guy so and, and this I, is such a like niche thing and the market's already you know we've had all the inflation stuff so who knows yeah it, it's it's interesting because I think in a normal knife world, you you tend to, I don't know, maybe, I guess you don't really see a lot of interchangeable blade on like folders, for instance. It tends to be one and done. Um, but in the Balasong world, because we kind of have this, at least Dale and I have, have come into this like uh, modularity between our products, the, there's definitely like, um, I don't know where I'm getting at. It to me, the handles make the knife, and the blade is the flare for the bow songs. Um, and so the whole point with the Empress was a sandwich, a you know, to the to the nines knife on sandwich handles. Uh, and the Kukri blade is definitely what I came up with for the Empress. But it was like, oh, this is a great blade. I I've done it. You know, let's launch it with with the Medusa handles because it was already there, and and it definitely helps. Like, if we're gonna focus on something, focus on something that we have handles our production. I only need to worry about prototyping the blade, and then we can sell those as soon as I'm done with the blade, and then worry about prototyping the new handles or whatever. Yeah, that, I, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I I definitely don't think like I don't like companies worrying about cannibalizing stuff. Like, I think to be clear that you having customization where you could have the knife blade with the handles you like and, and like have that choice is awesome. You know, um, like I, I think that's a good thing. I think that it's just like, um, you know, I wonder like if the buzz or hype or word of mouth would have gone differently, but I think it's probably not the biggest factor. You know, the biggest factor could definitely be the economy, um or instagram uh you know slowing down showing knives or posts that have like drop or sale in the in the title yeah it's yeah it's really hard to say to to summarize um i guess or or to to give everything i all the data i have when when we were at blade show and i was handing handing a lot of people the empress um i've done this a lot you know not not a lot as in I'm not super experienced, but enough that I've seen a difference in perspective of when I handed people the original Pit Vipers uh, or the Medusa or the Medusa V2 or any knife I've made along the way, their reaction tells you a lot. And it's usually not the things that they say. It's usually more nonverbal. And the reaction I got from the Empress when I handed it to people was the best reaction I've ever gotten. It was people not sure what to say because they liked it. You know, it was like, 
I don't I don't know how to describe it, but this flips and looks amazing. This is incredible. Like, um, and when I would hand people the the V one Medusas, they would tend to pick it apart. The Pit Vipers, they they destroyed it immediately. They're like, oh, this is an interesting idea, but totally poorly implemented. Um, yeah, Medusa V twos, you know. And that's where you know when I first heard you might be a little bit worried about sales. My reaction was definitely like you shouldn't give up. That it also might just need time for it to get into people's hands so that other people see it and be like, Oh, I want to get one of those too. You mm-hmm. know, I think, I think it's hard for people to just like buy something without any reviews, without any other people giving it their seal of approval, you know, without seeing someone else posting it on Reddit and, you know, seeing it gather steam, you know? Yeah. Well, and that, and that was the crazy thing is um, the, the reason I really swapped to the Empress over the, the Empress Medusa is because the the Empress Medusa was also slowing down, and even like Will, uh, I I think they did a Medusa review, and the Empress kind of did a, or the Empress Medusa did a, uh, what do you call it? It it cameoed, um, I guess, at the end of it, and that didn't change my sales like at all. I, I think it would have changed a little bit for the for the Medusa, um, but Will Hirsch having a very large channel showing that he likes my product uh didn't really give me a boost in sales and so and it's nothing against will i think well i love the other thing i was gonna say is like the people you're you see at blade show and the people who uh you see uh or the probably the people who follow youtube videos like will hirsch's are probably skewing younger and so they're going to be more sensitive to price and that's okay like you can make that your audience, um, but it's possible JK Designs is appealing more to people like my dad or something who, you know, isn't going to go to Blade Show. But, you know, I told you that you did the the auction for mm-hmm. uh, one of the Medusas you auctioned and, and he was like, oh, I missed the post. I, I would have participated, you know, mm-hmm. where, um you know, there's people who aren't on every social media. They aren't online as often, and and they aren't gonna go to these social events all day, hanging out. Um, but they still like to collect, and and they, you know, they might be flippers. They might not. You know, I don't think my dad would ever flip a live blade in his life, even if he wants to own something because he likes you as a creator. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying everyone's exactly like that, um, but I think. And I'm not saying that the feedback you got was wrong. I'm sure their reaction that it's like a good flipper or that it's cool could apply to anybody. But um, figuring out how to reach, you know, a wider audience of, you know, people who can afford different things or, or you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's none of there's not a really a wrong answer here. It's it's more of just pick your pick your market. Um, and like there, there is a market for high end values and there's a market for low, low price or, or high volume or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that my brand fits better in a consumer market, not a collector market. And because I'm betting like, uh, you know, Cerrone knives. Oh, yeah. Like, I bet them and like Benchmade. I bet they're mostly selling to like people in their thirties or forties or something. I don't think they're selling to the sixteen-year-olds flippers as much. 
Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm insulting <laughs> a bunch of people, but like that's just the vibe I get. Well, and, and and you know the Cerrone definitely um, he is low volume, high quality, and and that like he's a collector knife guy, and that's totally cool. Um, and and they're like and Benchmade has the the market of Benchmade enough that even if they did price too high. They have so much marketing because they're benchmade that they can get away with it. Where, you know, I don't have the marketing or the the what's the market share brand awareness. Yeah, whatever that is. Um, to get away with like scalping prices, I have to be pretty on the nose with my pricing. Um, and even though I I totally agree or believe that the the Empress was in fact fairly priced. Uh, because of how much work that went into it compared to kind of I, everything I, else. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, though, the price of things is determined by, like, people's connection to it, their own value of it, right? And so this is something I know Squid knows because I've, I've talked to him about it. So, you know, Squid will, will, will uh, um, uh, Squid will price things very cheaply because he wants to have, like, the cheapest good quality entry bow song. So he'll make the Squiddy, he'll make you know, all sorts of different trainers. But I think, well, I don't know. I shouldn't talk for him, but, you know, I think that if you make something cool enough, that that does have value. You know, if, if uh, uh, I don't want all my ballast scissors to go for my auction price, but, you know, they're very cool. And so even if my ballast scissors uh, were much easier to make than a regular knife, which I would say I don't think they are, um, but even if they were, you know, they still maybe should cost more because they're way cooler, you know, mm-hmm. or at least to a lot of people, they might be cooler. They're at least more unique or whatever. Well, you know and, what I'm and, saying? And, and so like, if you, if you made two knives and they're both take the exact same amount of effort, cause they're both, you know, just channel, you know, same, same process, but one of them is like 10 times cooler. I don't know, I don't know if it should be 10 times as much. But I think it is fair to make the cooler one cost more because there's going to be more demand for it. Right. But that is. And people are going to love it more, you know. Yeah, it's it's a it's perceived value. And that's that's a totally real thing. Um, I I think the big thing with with the Empress specifically, not to to, you know, be the dead horse or whatever, but uh, I think it's the coolest thing in the world. But clearly that is not like and other people agree that it's cool. But not that it's six hundred dollars cool or whatever that perceived value should be, um, and and that unfortunately it's it is the way it is because it costs that much, and so it's not like I can drop the price. Uh, it's it's if it doesn't sell at that point, I I can't really make, money, so I have to yeah, yeah I have to pivot, and that's what I'm doing. So, um, and it's a, it's a really complex situation, and and I who knows if I'm right or wrong. Um, it's it's been a learning curve, I should say, because like when I, when we first started, you know, I feel like everything I made, even when I was a, even like the original Pit Vipers came out at three fifty, uh, and they sold like crazy, and and the volume wasn't really there. I had a hundred followers on Instagram, and you know, most of those were my friends and family or whatever. So, um. It's definitely a weird state where it's like now we're kind of we're we're more of a pillar of the community and 
the volume, like we're able to produce the volume, but it's not selling anymore because some factor, I think it's the price. Um, and so, you know, things have to change to adapt to the volume or to the market. And, and that's what we're doing. So, yeah. Uh, so, well, sorry, John, you haven't jumped in as much. I was just going to say that that's definitely a tough position to be in. And that would make me feel like question what I was doing pretty bad because <laughs> I'd be like, uh, help. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Oh, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we, when we met in person for the first time last Blade Show, it was definitely like still this golden age of battle songs where like everything was new and everything could sell in 30 seconds. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was crazy. Um, you know, that could have stuff to do with the pandemic and, and, um, uh, and it could have stuff, to, you know, cause like there's all, you know, I'm not an econo- economist, but it, you know, there was the 0% interest rates for a long time. And, and yeah. then it, I don't, I'm not one of those people who thinks like, Oh, people at $1,200 given to them, uh, you know, um, that's enough to survive for years. Like uh, it's yeah, not that, that, that horse has been beaten so long. Yeah. That that that's dumb. But what is true is people were spending less on other things like going to the movies and stuff. So people were saving more, um, or at least those who could. Um, and so there was potentially groups of people who they might have, instead of uh, you know taking a trip to Hawaii in 2020, they're like, screw it, I'll get a bunch of ballad songs. Like who knows uh, how things have shifted. Um, but uh, de- definitely, just just uh, I think I think what's interesting to me is is figuring out like how often to make new products and and um, uh, I I think that uh, I think it takes like a ton of development time to or to at least to me I feel like it should take a decent amount of time and effort to come up with a new blade. But the trainers is slightly easier. It still might need heat treating and other, you know, challenges and testing. Um, but I still, I, I, I'm glad the trainers are working out because I have felt like there are states where you can't buy battle songs, and so there are people who want to buy from creators like you, mm-hmm. and they want something nice and high quality, uh, but they can't, you know. Yeah, no, I'm definitely very glad i did the trainers because uh part part of my like business model uh which actually is in my business plan um i wanted to make the highest quality possible like the highest level of design not even quality necessarily but the highest level of design like pursue the every design evolution until you're at the top of the food chain and i also wanted to be competitively priced uh yeah and at the end of the day, one of those things has to be sacrificed. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it was it was a it was a goal. It was a dream uh, turned out, you know, re- reality kicked my ass. Um, but so I realized, you know, if I pursue the highest level design, that's going to put me in a collector's market. And I would rather not be there. I would rather people. And I, I don't know if I told you guys, but I, something that I've really stuck is I want my knives to be in people's pockets and not in their safes. Mm -hmm. Um, I want my knives to be with the, whatever age they are with the user that, you know, pulls it out and cuts things with it. I don't want it to be 
flipped over carpet or a bed or you know i want it to just be used and loved because to me as a boy scout as a knife lover i appreciate things and as a you know handy person i use the stuff i enjoy i wouldn't buy a hammer and not you know that's crazy but i would spend a lot of money on a hammer that i use because i've done it and i love that hammer my favorite hammer you know (laughs) whatever so uh at the end of the day i i want to make stuff that i enjoy and i would use that really puts me at a certain price point. I have to design around that price point. And it's been an interesting uh, problem to have because now I have to design things for higher volume as opposed to just pursuing the highest level of design, which really hit, we broke a wall doing it. Uh, we, were, we were only able to do like for a very long time, no matter what knife. Um, but then suddenly we're, we should be able to push six knives a day um, with basically just the Haas. And so we're really kicking into high gear because I finally, you know, pulled my head out of someone's butt and designed around the problem. I mean, that's another thing is like, of course you're just, uh, you're still small in the sense, like you've got one and a half employees, right? Yeah. 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 And like, and so, you know, it's it's potentially like you just sell anything enough and you just grow that then, you know, people get exposure to your products uh, through your trainers, through whatever. And then, you know, you have a bigger audience, you have a bigger presence. And that, again, um, allows you to to sell more types of products, more price ranges, that kind of thing. Like it's still it's still like relatively recent. All this stuff's happened. It's all within the last few months, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think I think things could change, and you know, the economy as well. So, yeah, I, I still have hope for the Empress. Uh, well, you know, who who knows? And and like I said, it, it is my favorite design that I've ever done. Uh, and frankly, I think it's my favorite design that anyone's ever done. Uh, I might be a little bit biased on that, but. Um, you know, I, I want it with everything in my body to, but at the end of the day, I'm also running a business and it hurts for me to say that because I always consider myself an artist, anything else and Hmm. to sacrifice my art for at the end of the day profits, which at at this moment is breaking even (laughs) not even profits, but it's just like, I need to survive. Um, yeah. It's a it's a painful experience, but I'm glad I'm I'm learning a lot of lessons doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm right there with you, but in in a book spot versus batch work type yeah. of feeling. Because I'm like, this is not sustainable whatsoever. Yeah. And you know, it every, it's I feel like it's it, we we're always fo- like as as entrepreneurs, we're following through a bunch of funnels. It's like you hit a you hit the wide mouth of a funnel and you're like, oh man we're doing great. We could make all these choices. And then you start narrowing yourself down until you hit the end of that funnel and you're like, Oh my God, everything squeezed. And then you get through it and then you're like, okay, now we're, now we can breathe again. Yeah. It's kind of that my whole experience has just been that. <laughs> yep. And you find yourself in a bigger funnel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're getting through it, but, uh, I was joking with Dale. I, I basically rewrote plan couple weeks just new direction but now we're hitting it full steam 
should be pretty yeah. good. Well, you never know. It might, you know, it's it, it's it might it's be a good thing, honestly. Yeah, it's something we've talked about before, which is like with art, like, um, you know, on some level, it's like we look down on people who appeal to the greatest common denominator and just make like trashy movies or whatever that have the biggest audience versus like some really personal artsy story that's very niche but comes from the heart you know there's like a certain view of that but then on the other hand it's like they can be really lame the the artist the screenwriter who who writes a story that's very clearly their own life and it's a movie about uh it's a movie about a screenwriter and you know it's it, people try to give feedback on on how they don't like certain parts or whatever. And they're like, oh, you know, you just don't understand it. You know, I'll find my audience. Uh-huh. You know, there is like this balance where like, you know, you aren't selling out or being lame by accepting other people's feedback and being like, you know what? Maybe people like this. You know, I, I would have liked this, but maybe people like this more. And like trying to find that balance where you feel like, you're getting to make what you want to make and find the audience that you want, but also still not just being like up your own ass and like, I could never improve. I could never have to learn anything. I've already got it all figured out and have perfect taste. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a tricky thing. Not to say that you're either one of those. I I definitely was in a, in a very prideful state. Uh, Not, not in a, any philosophical way. Just like I, I really was, proud of the medusa and i was like oh man after this anything i do is gold um and <laughs> my has have my words you know I've, I've been eating those words for for a while now i mean there's definitely a factor like whether it's you know tv shows and movies or, or actual products where sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle and so sometimes that's where i've worried where you or or dalen are like uh-oh it looks like sales could be dropping uh, you know, I got to come up with a new product and it's like, well, that's fine, but you're going to keep making, uh, the other product. Right. And then it's like, well, you know, we'll maybe pause for a little bit. And it's like, that product could be lightning in a bottle. This new one people might not like, and, and they only like this thing because you just happen to hit it a home run first try, you know, that can happen. And, and, uh, you know, you don't want to piss off all your fans. And so it's, it's a tricky thing because, and that's where I think Dalen convinced me that I, I think there definitely is in this kind of market, um, if you know, if you, especially if you aren't, you know, trying to appeal to forty-year-old collectors, um, well, I don't know, maybe it could be true for both, but I, I do think this is kind of a fast market where you do kind of have to come up with new stuff and be fresh regularly because it's not a giant market, you know, that that. There, there is a collector's aspect. You know, the people who are using the product also do like collecting and do like variety. And so they aren't necessarily just buying one knife a year or one trainer a year. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the, yeah, it's a, it's, um, I was trying to put it, it's, it's a niche market. And so there is a limited pool where, you know, something like pocket knives, there's a lot of competition, but it's also a very big pool. You know, it's pocket knives could be literally anyone. It could be your mailman. It could be, you know, aquatic biologists that needs a pocket knife. My fiance, you know, it could be literally mm-hmm. anyone. Um, 
But battle songs find themselves in a very niche part of the market of, frankly, it's a certain personality that's into this kind of stuff. And it's uh, even more so to be at this higher end of the battle song hobby. Um, it's a really small pool. And so to stay relevant, like if if you just make one battle, I'm sure you will sell an amount of those, but at some point you're going to run dry. Um, right. And well, yeah, I, I think that I think it's like, I, I think there's a lot of paths to victory, so to speak. And I, I think when I was just starting out and hadn't met squid yet, uh, I just thought the only way to go was to be like, Grimsmo and sell at like a really high price to a very niche specific art audience who is just a really big fan of you. Um, talking to Squid and stuff, it really seems like his strategy and the reason he helps other people like us is he wants to grow the industry as a whole. He wants mm-hmm. to get more of the world to be fans of Bow songs. Right. And I think he's succeeded in a lot of ways that, you know, friggin' PewDiePie made a video flipping. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, you know, that helps everybody out and maybe, you know, grows every type of buyer. I don't know. It will, uh, one, one note on that, uh, and I don't know if Lucas listens to our podcast or not, but I think the best knife that Lucas has ever made is the squiddy because, <laughs> because of one moment at the first blade show, uh, I think it was the first blade show I did. Uh, I had, you know, I I think I brought 12 pit vipers and that was it. Um, And I didn't sell out to the, like the last hour of the show, but the guy next to me was a fixed blade guy and he brought his two little kids. They must've been, I don't know, five and six, six and seven, something like that. Young children. And they were watching all these battles on flippers go crazy the whole show. And at towards the end of the show, the guy leans over to me because we we've been kind of chatting up the whole show, and he's like, "Hey, you know, is there like a a kid friendly way to get into this? Like, they really, my kids are really into the, interested in all these flippers, but like, I don't want to give them a knife, and even a metal trainer may be a little bit scary." And I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, go to Lucas. He's got this thing called Squiddy, and and sure enough, he went and bought two of them. And those kids, like, when you give it a kid a new toy, like the the shining light behind their eyes, you know, like locked, even though this kid's like, like, this is a whole new world for the kid. They just were going crazy. And it was because the squiddy was so approachable that literally a, a, you know, I don't want to use any <laughs> negative terms, but like a, a hunter outdoorsman fixed blade, you know, rancher, yeah. his kids were into the squiddy. And so it's like, yeah, that's going to be opening up the door to the world of knives or knife owners, as opposed to just like, hey, this this niche hobby of outside. That no, I mean you know, it, it's it, it's uh like it's it's both really great that um it exists and it's kind of crazy it hasn't happened sooner, and it is also just really good even as an adult. I like it. And like I, it kind of makes me want to make something out of plastic. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't feel like I could make anything different enough than a squiddy to like uh, for the reason to. But but it, it it's nice that to have something that I don't care that if you know if I drop it on tile or something or or yeah. it's gonna dent wood floors. 
uh, Zeke. Zeke, my machinist, bought one. He he's not a Balsam guy until I hired him. Now he's kind of into it. But he he was like, "Hey, I've really been enjoying flipping, but also when I take my kid to the park, I can't exactly flip a knife or even a trainer. It's kind of obnoxious, you know, whatever." Uh, so he he bought a Squiddy. We both bought a Squiddy at the same time because um, now he he can flip it in front of kids and their moms, and nobody cares. And it's like, yeah, that's checkbox. You you just got another customer. Um, yeah, Quiddy. Anyway, long story. Great product. <laughs> it's a great product. Too bad they're also not made anymore. So you have to go buy a uh, Medusa trainer. <laughs> exactly. <Everybody's> listening. <laughs> All that stuff we just made up. It doesn't actually exist. Go, oh, go buy or go. some scissors coming next <laughs> decade. <laughs> yeah, or a midnight coming yeah. also next decade. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, David, besides being sick, have you have you had any progress or anything? Yeah, I uh um despite different interruptions, uh it does feel great like how fast it's like surprising and a weird feeling how fast doing stuff on the hosses. Like in mm. a way the actual programs like some of them I'm like, oh that wasn't as big of an increase as I thought it could be, you know, with the rapids and everything. It's it's still not like, you know, that I mean, triple the speed in in program time is amazing, but it's it's still like you know you have to wait around for twenty minutes or something. But yeah. but the fact that it is twenty minutes instead of an hour uh, is like I stop having to think like oh I gotta make sure like I got nothing coming up today and no one's gonna bother me and like I don't have other things I want to try. Like now it's like oh I already made all the parts. I guess I got to think of some other thing to work on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like th- it's definitely kind of like a new thing. Um, that's very good. And so I'm really hoping that continues and like continues in a big way because I also want to try working on different products. And so, you know, I'm hoping I can figure out a way to like, you know, get things, uh, kind of in some steady state, where it's kind of going on in the background, but I might be able to experiment with other things at the same time, mm-hmm. um, either literally by using the Tormach or like, you know, I, I, I make some blades, but I have someone else heat treat them. And so yeah. I can mess around while I'm waiting for them or something. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so, so it's been good. I, uh, um, I, I've had trouble figuring out how to film though. That's one thing that's delayed me and I've wanted to just make stuff. So I haven't done a lot of great filming. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried just different coolant methods and I got oleophobic, the like oil phobic iPad covers to stick to the inside. And those work. It is cool how it like beads up, but it doesn't like bead up and slide off instantly. And so Mm. it's, it's less foggy. It's good for human eyes, but for a camera, it's having to like focus through a bunch of beads of, of coolant. And so it doesn't really work the way I was trying it. Maybe there's a different way to do it, but um, it, it didn't actually solve the problem. But even if, even if uh, it was a perfect hole through the window of no coolant, um, uh, there's still coolant splashing around like crazy. So it's still hard to see. And so yeah. I'm going to start experimenting, cutting things with air now instead. And, um, 
that just might be what I do for videos is it kind of like how my original videos were for a while. Um, I put off using coolant for a long time cause I wanted to keep things as clear as possible. So mm-hmm. I'll just like in production real mode use coolant, but then maybe do a batch where I try using air so you can see. Do you have a MQL set up yeah. or something? Okay. Uh, definitely MQL over air for sure. If you can. Um, so, so I was looking at it today for the first time and the MQL has to be like in a specific position. And so, uh, if you have a lot of different lengths of tool, you're mm. kind of out of luck. I get you. And so I think it's okay though. And then I also do have the through spindle air. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's possible I might be able to, for some tools, try that and then go back to the MQL. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue either way. And I can try to figure out different tool holders or something. Um, but if you've listened to this whole entire podcast and are in the middle of buying a VF2, um, when you buy tool holders, try to get them all the same exact length, I guess. I, that's You're something that I, MQL. yeah, I accidentally did because, uh, my host at least does not have great coolant. Uh, Cause it's just got like from the one side, the four nozzles and it's like, okay, pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think all of my tool holders, uh, both the hydraulic ER collets are like exactly, I think they're all two inches or one and a half inches. I don't quite remember, but um, if, when I go to tool offset, I input the exact same number into all of my tools. Oh, nice. Which that's, is that's... hilarious. That's, it's close. So I'm using mostly the half inch hydraulics. And so they're pretty close to the same, but mm-hmm. different end mills have different lengths. So they're off by a little bit. Um, but then I did buy a couple SK collets to just try out. And so those from Maritool are like way longer All right. uh, for some reason. And then, uh, and then for drills, I've been using ER 20 collets, like the shortest size. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't tried it with the MQL yet, but I'm hoping those will be pretty much the same as as uh, the hydraulics. But if it is possible, I might have to switch to some longer ER20 collets if I want to use MQL. Yeah, but I also could I could try just like turning some of the valves off of uh, the coolant or like you know reducing the flow. Um, I'm not sure how Saunders does stuff, but he he does a pretty good job even with coolant. I wonder, uh, do you have a mist collector? No, but I I am thinking about getting one because depending on what I'm doing, it does get kind of misty and bad as well. Well, say I wonder because I've I've experimented with this kind of on accident, but if you do flood coolant, but then you just put like ten psi of air from the front, so that it just blows away what your camera's looking at. right maybe you could do something like that or experiment with it yeah i um i could do like the gopro in the machine method as well but gopros are like just such worse cameras and i don't know having to like press buttons and record like by opening the machine up and clicking the button is kind of annoying whereas like Right now, with my camera outside the machine, I can just be like adjusting things and pressing buttons and looking at things mid-program, 
and just mm-hmm. be like, oh, I want to record that and just like, hey, record in the middle of a program and not have it to like open the doors and stuff. Yeah, and GoPro would definitely be uh, the harder way to do it, I think. There's, surely there's got to be. You, I wonder, well, I guess Titan, Titan cuts everything dry anyway. Or they, yeah. they tend to for the videos. You, I, I think they'll do a mix, but yeah, I think they try to do a lot of stuff dry uh, because, you know, for the clarity. Yeah. Um, you know, when they're trying to show off a specific material, you kind of have to use coolant sometimes. Oh well, yeah, you're actually pushing feeds and speed and stuff, but yeah, I don't know. But like, that's also what's good about like new tools with the good coatings is like you can cut steel dry and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I I did so long, I did like a year or more of videos without any coolant. It's only when I started cutting titanium, it's like oh. Yeah, I yeah. cannot just use air for this. Yeah, you need. <laughs> and and uh, I made the mistake of trying pure titanium instead of grade five. Oh yeah, and so it was just like so gummy immediately mm-hmm. and awful. Yeah, I hate that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, and then I'm also working on a Fusion 360 video, and so I'm trying to figure out what I want to do for and when I want to put them out. Um, nice. Are you still trying to do more uh, consistent video uploads? Um, no. <laughs> okay, uh, that's fair. Totally. It yeah. feels like it felt so much more possible when I didn't have to do any machining for some reason. <laughs> huh. <laughs> had more time almost. Uh, it does feel more possible, like I said, with the host being faster. But I I need to figure out how I do it and, um. It also still like, what do I want to talk about? Because right now I'm just kind of remaking stuff to the same place it was basically with the Tormok, you know, mm-hmm. like, so I'm making it faster and more accurate, but it's, it's not like that fresh of content. So right. I'm just kind of figuring out and it's probably going to be kind of wild what I do. I definitely have a lot of video ideas and it'd be cool to figure out how to have time for those two. I guess that's it. I guess so. I think so. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. Thank you. Good night. See you (laughs) next time. Bye.